are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. to our first uh, vendors who presented today. Thank you to our gold sponsor, AARP. We are so appreciative to have you here. We have lots of information um, on site here that you can receive about planning your care and preparing your home as well. So I want to thank all of our vendors um, who are out here bearing the cold right now. Looking forward to get a little bit warmer, and it will. Um, Our volunteers who came here bright and early to get things going, so we just thank you so much for that. Um, And I'm going to go ahead. My name is Michelle Bolden. I'm the founder of Call for Caring and the Expo. So we're excited to bring the third Expo, which is our first one outside. Um, And so we're happy that everyone is here today to join us. So today you can expect um, to see learn about self-care through meditation and yoga. You can expect to learn about planning your care through a panel of experts, gerontologists, attorney, and a financial planner. And then we're going to wrap up the day today with a great speaker who's going to give us some motivation about her personal journey as a caregiver as well. So we're excited for the day. As for everyone to hang in there, it's going to warm up, and we want to start our day with our partner. We're excited. We're here at Impact Church in their courtyard. We're excited to partner with them this year. So yay to Impact Church for joining us this year to partner. And so we want to start the day in an awesome way. So we're going to ask for Pastor Eddie Bridgman to go ahead and say a prayer for us. And I'm going to turn it over. Thank you, Michelle, and thank you, everyone, as Michelle said, for coming out and being a part of this amazing event. Those of you that are watching, both here locally in Atlanta and around the world, especially those that are local, if you can, come out, enjoy this amazing event. And if you will, everyone, if you could just stop for a half moment and let us bow before the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we're so grateful to you today. We're grateful to you for the sunshine, a a day that is, yes, uh, breezy, but we know that you are in control of it all. We thank you for every volunteer. We thank you for every vendor. We thank you for every participant. God, today we ask that you would shine your love down on the caregivers and those that they give care to. Lord, we know that all things would work together for the good of them that love you. And so, God, we love you today, and we ask that you move by your spirit and bless this gathering. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we do pray and ask it all. And everyone that agree, say amen. Thank you, Pastor Eddie. Awesome. And so I'm going to start by introducing our moderator for today. Her name is Yvette Williams, and she's going to introduce our first speaker. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome. Raise your hand if you've learned something new today. Got some resources that will help you as you continue through this journey of life and helping your loved one. So we're really excited to present the next phase of this expo. We've got the planning the caregiver journey, and this will be an important panel discussion led by our moderator, Michelle Bolden. Michelle has been a registered nurse for over 30 years. She completed her BSN at Florida A&M University and later completed her MBA in Atlanta, Georgia. She has worked in many roles across the healthcare system, from the bedside in adult and pediatric ICU to consulting to director roles. She is currently owner of Home Helpers North Atlanta, founder and chief education officer for Call for Caring Inc., a nonprofit organization educating and uplifting family caregivers and host of the Call for Caring on Purpose podcast. She is a long-distance caregiver for her father, supporting her sisters as they provide daily support. 
She currently resides in the city of South Fulton, Georgia, and has one son, now a junior, in New York City. And our first panelist is Dr. Jean Sejour Donosian, also known as Dr. S. <laughs> Dr. S recently joined the Old National Center Well location in Atlanta as Associate Medical Director. She graduated from Morehouse School of Medicine and completed her residency at University of Miami Jackson Memorial Hospital. She is board certified and specializes in family medicine and geriatrics. Dr. S is uniquely qualified to lead her team and model the core values of senior care learned over 16 years as a primary care physician. Working with the senior population has taught Dr. S patience and increased her compassion for the elderly. Dr. S believes in listening to the needs of her senior patients to ensure their satisfaction. She acknowledges that each person may have different needs, but that the common thread is compassionate care and mutual respect. Treat people the way you want your grandmother to be treated is how she sums up her philosophy of care. Her husband is also a family physician, and they have five children. Dr. S's background is Haitian Bahamian, so she speaks Haitian Creole and loves all things Caribbean. And our next panelist is Dr. Robert Bob Goldberg. Bob graduated from the United States Military Academy at West Point in 1982 and the University of Michigan Law School in 1990. He has specialized in estate planning and elder law since 1999. I think Prince did a record about you. Um, he's a member of the National Academy of Elder Law Attorneys and Wealth Council. He and his staff have helped thousands of families develop comprehensive plans to protect their families and property, navigate the long-term care maze of Medicare, Medicaid, and VA benefits, and guided them through the probate process. Bob has appeared as an estate planning and elder law expert on Channel 13, WMAZ's Law Call. And he's also hosted a monthly radio show on WHIE, that's AM 1320. Bob speaks often at caregiver conferences and support group meetings for the families of those suffering with Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. He has also produced a webinar for the Rosalind Carter Institute for caregiving on legal issues for people living with dementia and their caregivers, which is available at www.rosalindcarter.org slash dementia underscore webinars. Bob has been married to his wife, Kimberly, since 1995. Kimberly and Bob have two boys, Simon and Seth. When Bob's not busy practicing law, he enjoys reading, thrillers, and biographies, skiing, orienteering, running, and walking his dogs. He's got a busy life. Yes, yes. yes welcome, Bob. And last but certainly not least, we have Derek Murray, CFP, and as a native Atlantan, Derek has a deep passion for community and culture. He is guided by his core values, integrity, passion, and grit. Derek views his role as an advisor, not as a job, but as a calling. Helping people is his true definition of success. A graduate of Furman University, Derek earned a Bachelor of Arts in Economics. Upon completion, he started a financial planning franchise associated with Northwestern Mutual. Dedicated to education, he then completed a graduate program in financial planning from the University of Georgia, Terry College of Business. That led him to getting his board certification as a certified financial planner through the American College. Only 28% of advisors nationwide are certified. As a financial planner, his mission is to help his clients build and maintain multi-generational wealth. In his spare time, he loves to exercise, attend live sporting events, and spend time with family and friends. So thank you very much. Please welcome all the panelists, everyone. All right, I'm going to step back here in the sun, yay. And so uh, we'll have our first speaker to present, Dr. S. is going to present, and I'll back back so you can stand right here. And they're going to bring your slides up for you in a okay. second. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me and welcome um, everyone. Again, I am Dr. S or Dr. Seju Donassien. And I am the Associate Medical Director, as they said, of Centerwell Senior Primary Care, uh, currently at the Old National location, as well as Morrow. And we have five more locations coming the end of this year and into the, um, the new year. So I'm happy to be here and to talk about the medical aspects of our, the caregiver journey. So my experience uh, comes from taking care of patients, of seniors, since I finished residency. And what I found is the idea of planning and preparing for aging, for uh, end of life, is not done often in the communities that I serve. And I find that this lecture, this talk, is really essential in preventing a lot of heartache and headache down the road. Okay, so... The introduction is as stated, um, as you can see, what are the key matters? What should you be focusing on, at least on the medical side, when you're preparing either for caring for a loved one or even for yourself? So first, the background is aging is inevitable. We're all going to age, and we can either do it gracefully or we can stumble through it. Um, and so there's a lot of complex things that we need to consider, and it's going to come whether you're ready for it or not. Next slide. And I just wanted to throw in just a bit of med <laughs> medical background, and, you know, I can't speak about um, aging without talking about the physiological changes. So, so very small writing, but... It, all this slide is discussing the normal aging process, the physiological changes that come with aging. And I think it's important because when you know what to expect, you can better prepare. So we know that over time, as we age, we're going to have normal changes with loss of hearing or decreased hearing, changes in vision, changes in uh, neurological uh, cognition, physical changes, weakness, um, the muscles, the bones, everything is going to decline. And so being aware that this is normal helps you to make sure that you have all of the systems in place so when it comes, you'll be prepared. Next slide. Um, and this just says that the age of 75... Uh, the average person compared to age of 30 has only 92% of their brain weight, 84% of basal metabolism, 70% of kidney function. Long story short, we're not the people we were at 35. Next slide. So what is it that we need to focus on? What are the key components of the care team? What should you consider from the medical standpoint? The first thing is to develop, to develop a relationship with your primary doctor or your, your, your loved one's primary doctor. Ideally, you should have a physician that is the quarterback of the team, that is aware of all of the health aspects. If your loved one sees a specialist, you want to make sure that, that, that your PCP is aware of what they're recommending, that there's a central place to go to to know what medications they're taking, what their history is. And that will allow, when you need the information, you can go to one place. So finding a primary care doctor that focuses on senior care is really an advantage, or anyone that you have a strong relationship with that reaches out and connects all of the pieces. Oftentimes, you, need it, you have an eye doctor, they have an eye doctor, they have a cardiologist, a kidney doctor. You want to have someone that is aware of everything that's going on, and it's in all the information is in a central location. Another thing to consider is a care team. There are some uh, health, health systems that have a care team, not only a doctor, but they also have behavioral health specialists, the pharmacists, and have all of the components, and you have a team of people that is caring for your loved one, and that will allow you to know, okay, I have all my medications in one place. I know whatever behavioral health needs they have or issues, I have that all together. So having a care team is also important. I also put up here DME, knowing where, if you need medical supplies, where is that coming? And you also want that to be centralized. And another component that I put on here is, is family. 
if you are taking care of your spouse, it's going to be a lot for you to do by, on your own. So you want to think about creating a team of caretakers. So you'll have, if you're, it's your spouse or your husband, you may have one of your daughters be the one that takes him to his appointment. You may have your son in charge of picking up medications. And what that does, it decreases the stress on you as the primary caretaker, and it makes everyone feel like they're involved and they're able to show their love through helping. So I find that creating a team where someone is in charge or responsible for an area will help to diffuse all the responsibility, and you can focus on that one-on-one care with your, um, with your loved one. You can go to the next slide. So for me, I think the most, one of the most important things to have is ad- have an advanced care plan, having what your wishes are. So this is where we get into living wills, advanced care planning. This is when there's a legal, a financial component. But on the medical side, you want to think about what is it that you, what type of care do you want when you're unable to care for yourself? So this is more before your loved one gets sick or even before you get sick. While you're cognizant and you have all of your faculties and you're able to make decisions, you want to start planning for your future. You want to start writing down what it is that you want, letting everyone know, hey, I don't want to be kept alive on a machine or just a machine breathing for me. I would prefer not to be intubated. I would like to be kept on a machine maybe for seven days, three days, whatever the doctor says. But you want to start expressing yourself. There are some people that may, if they have a terminal illness, may want to be at home. And if you say that early enough and often enough, there will be no room for confusion. And also, not just saying it and verbalizing it, you want to write it down. But one thing that I found is when my patients come to me and I ask them every year, do you have a living will? Who do you want to make decisions? 90% have not even considered or have not started having that discussion. And so the burden of whatever they need if they're unable to speak falls on uh, their loved one, their spouse, or their children. So this, again, talks about advanced care planning. You want to think about what you want. Think about your future. How do you want your care to look like? What do you want it to look like? Do you want to be home? Do you want to be in a facility? Do you want to, you know, what, do you want to be with children? Do you know, I don't want to be with my kids. Do not ever send me to my kids. I, I prefer to be, you know, you want to start thinking about that ahead of time. And then, again, talk with your family and friends. Develop a lasting power of attorney. Write your thoughts down often and as many places as you can. And then discuss your plans with your doctor so that they know what it is and they can share that information with your loved ones. And then share the information and review it. Today you may want one thing and then two, three years down the road it may change. Always review and update whatever plans that you have. And this busy slide just puts the patient and the family in the center of advanced care planning. And you want to consider quality of life. What are your hopes and goals? What are your beliefs and values? What, those are the core things that to consider as you're coming up with a plan. You want to con- have supportive setting. You want to have uh, family. You want the family to be ready. And not a lot of people are ready to start having these conversations. And the fact that you all are here, you understand the importance of being a caregiver and, and thinking about the future and thinking about your loved ones. But a lot of times the family, they're not ready. Children sometimes aren't ready to see their parent in a role where they're not in control and in charge. So you want to Assess for readiness of the family. And you want to make sure that your provider is comfortable having these discussions. Sometimes we doctors don't want to talk about the end of life and talk about palliative care because it's almost as if we have failed as a doctor, like we can't keep you alive long enough. And in reality, death is life and death are a continuum, and so we all have to go that, that road. So you want your provider, your doctor, to be comfortable with having 
uh, those discussions. And again, you want to have these conversations early and often. And again, for the caregivers that I know it's, it's here, um, ask for help and accept help. I think that I just threw this slide in here because I know the role that you all have, it gets overwhelming, um, and, you, and, it ha and you don't know how long it's going to last. You're taking care of your loved one. And so when it first begins, you may feel like you have the energy, the strength, like I can do this. And then now it's the second year, it's the third year, and the fourth year. And people may feel, not feel comfortable to say, hey, can I help you with this? But if they uh, offer, accept it. And if they don't, ask for help. Um, and so that just kind of sums it up, the same thing that I said. So thank you all for having me. And I'll be open for questions um, afterwards. Thank you, thank you. What great information. And so as she talked about planning and advanced directives, it's a great segue to lead into Robert Goldberg, who's going to talk to us about the legal aspects um, of planning your care. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Robert. Okay. I'm waiting for my lyrics to come up because I'm known as the singing attorney, and you're all going to sing with me. And, it, the, 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 and you have no excuse because they should... There we have them. See, and the, the whole key here is what the good Dr. S. was saying, that this is all about help, right? You, you are helping others, and all of us are here to help you. You can't do this alone. And, you know, I'm an elder law attorney, which is a state planning for chronic disability. The, the doctors are keeping us alive longer and longer, but unfortunately we need help with our activities of daily living and our instrumental activities of daily living. And I've, or, I've always been hard-pressed with how to explain what I do. And one day I realized John Lennon said it better than me. I really am not a singer, so I really do need your help. Everyone who's out there watching me in streaming land, you can sing too. So I'll try and get us in key. Hmm... When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now these days are gone, I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and opened up the doors. Help me if you can, I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being round. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me? See, and now he, he, here's the important part. My, my father's going through this now, too. He's 94. And now my life has changed in oh so many ways. My independence seems to vanish in the haze. But every now and then I feel so insecure. I know I need you like I've never done before. Help me if you can, I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being round. Help me get my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please help me, help me. Help me, ooh, ooh, you were lovely. Thank you very much. So, so re re really, like that, that, you're doing such a beautiful thing, and all, all of us are really estate planners. So you never realize that we're we're all in this helping concept. So I, I just, I, I am not going to go through my slide. You can leave that slide right there, but I'm just going to talk a little bit about my, my process and what, what I look at first. And the, the, the first thing I have to understand is whether a person has planned for incapacity, right? And, and the doctor was talking about that. I have to do a little bit of an evaluation myself to determine whether someone can even sign legal documents. And this is probably the most important thing that you can do. If I say the words estate planning, most people are going to go, I, I got no money. I got no estate. I don't have to worry about, you know, leaving my stuff when I die. But, but it's so much more than that. 
one of the first books I read 22 years ago when I started doing this, it was called The Loving Trust. It wasn't called The Living Trust. It was called The Loving Trust. And planning is about putting your affairs in order so you don't leave your fa your family running around like chickens with their heads cut off, right? That is not a very loving way to do things. Unfortunately, we see a lot of people sticking their heads in the sand, don't we? Oh, every, I heard a woman here today, oh, my husband's not doing anything. You know, he's just going to leave everything to me, so he's not doing anything. Well, ha has he done a financial power of attorney? Probably the most important legal document anyone can have. And I'm telling you, I often see pitiful powers of attorney. Because what do people do? They go on the internet, they print something off. It's a do-it-yourself affair. Maybe they go to a general practitioner and they're using the Georgia power of attorney. And I call that a pitiful power of attorney because if it's printed off the internet, you, you'll just sign it without even reading it at all, right? That's my first bit of legal advice. Don't sign something without reading it. You don't know what's in there, and you might not be covered. Now, 50% of us who make it to 85 years old are going to get some type of dementia, okay? And we need to have that power of attorney in place, and I like to see a power of attorney with specific authority to get into a retirement fund, the IRA, the 401k. Does anyone know what a TSP is, a thrift savings plan? That's your government IRA. And I, I like to tell stories, and one story that's not such a nice story is I had a woman come to me. Her husband was in his 60s. He gets early-onset Alzheimer's disease. He had about $500,000 in his thrift savings plan. And I, I can say this because it's true. You know, they had a legal Zoom power of attorney, and she sent it off to the thrift savings plan. You know, my husband has early-onset Alzheimer's disease. I need to get into his thrift savings plan to use his money to pay for assisted living care. And they sent her a nice letter back. It's really terrible that your husband has this going on, but we, we can't help you because your power of attorney doesn't have authority for you as his agent to access his thrift savings plan. So she, they thought they had everything in place. We had to make a trip to probate court, right? This is called living probate. Had to go get a conservatorship where she was appointed to be his conservator to conserve his property. You know, more time, more money. So for, first of all, have a power of attorney. Second, know what powers are in it. And in, in a little bit, I'm going to talk about paying for care and resources to pay for care. And I'm going to talk about Medicaid planning. And I'm going to tell you I see many, many pitiful powers of attorney that don't permit trust-making or lending, or gift giving, right? And, and now the family's hands are tied because the power I need for the agent to have to do Medicaid asset protection planning ju just isn't there. So have that power of attorney. N next, I, I, in planning for chronic disability, I am looking at Where's a person going to live? Well, the, these are all these options here, right? You, you have home health care. You have the spouse caregiver, the child caregiver. Th then you have independent living. You have the assisted living community. You have the memory care unit. You have the skilled nursing facility. And as we age, get, guess what? Do chronic conditions get better with time? No, right, right, doctor? They, they are getting worse and worse and worse. And, and I'm going to tell you the reason you're all here today. You're caregivers, right? And, and you, your loved one's functional ability declined. And you had this moment. You said, wow, it's not safe for them to live alone. So what, what did you do? You loved them and you stepped in and you filled the need gap. But the need gap is going to grow wider and wider and wider. That's where you have to start getting more care. 
and when you start getting more care, what's the first thing you think about? Holy cow, how am I going to pay for this? It's expensive, right? And my son pointed something out to me the other day that was really, really, really important. And he said, you know, Dad, I'm reading this book, you know, and the government's printing more money, right? I mean, they're actually printing more money. You can make money. But he really emphasized that time, time is our most precious asset, right? There's 24 hours in a day. No one's making any more time, right? That's that trade-off, your money, your money for time. So when you're thinking about the cost of care, and this, this is entitled the sandwich generation, you're being pulled in every single direction, you know, you got to value your time. So the, the next thing I look at is, well, what's care going to cost? And, and I'm telling you, you need to think about the cost to your relationships, the cost to your mental health. The, we, we had the yoga person here, you know, meditating. Got to take care of yourself. But what, what resources are available to pay for care? Well, Der- Derek is going to talk about saving and private paying for care. There's long-term care insurance. There, there's Medicare, but Medicare is not a long-term care benefit for the most part. Okay, Medicare is only going to pay for skilled nursing services, rehabilitation services, occupational therapy, things like that. Not not a lot of help at home. Now, unlike Medicare, which stands for medical care, there's another program. It started in 1965. Thank you, President Johnson. Right. And it. I laugh because it was supposed to be medical care for old people, right? You know what that, right? That was Medicare, right? Medic, medic, medical care for old people. I, I take offense because I'm 61, right? And, and you get Medicare when you're 65 for the most part. But there was also this medical aid that, that came in to be. And medical aid can be available both in the home to pay for home care. There are things called home and community-based services. You can, you can Google this stuff, okay? Home and, Georgia home and community-based services. Specifically, there's an elderly and disabled waiver, right? The EDW, the elderly and disabled waiver, where Medicaid will pay for care to come into the home Medicaid, if you are eligible, can even have a family member paid to give care to a family member in the home. So, you know, what, what a great and beautiful thing that would be. M- Medicaid paying for home care, the elderly and disability waiver. Now, a- another important home care benefit is uh, VA benefits, right? And, and there's two kinds of VA benefits. There's VA compensation for a service-connected disability. And, and the big news with the VA is that they now have Agent Orange presumptive eligibility for what's called Blue Water Veterans. Anyone taking care of a Vietnam veteran? But, so basically, if you were in Vietnam, you are presumed to have been exposed to Agent Orange, okay? And Agent Orange causes a variety of really, really nasty things, Parkinson's disease, prostate cancer, a bunch of really bad things. But until the last year or so, if you were on a ship off the coast of Vietnam, you, you wouldn't be eligible for these Agent Orange presumptive benefits. So th- this is very important for people who've been turned down in the past. Blue Water veterans are now eligible. Uh, a second VA benefit, it's, it's called pension, improved pension with aid and attendance. Many people call this aid and attendance. No, it's a pension program, and it can be used to pay for care in the home or can be used to pay for care in the assisted living. What I'm doing is I'm moving down the spectrum now. I'm going from home care to assisted living community, and there's this benefit called pension. Pension doesn't require a service-connected disability. 
VA pension is a needs-based benefit where there's what's called a net worth test. You have to be below a certain net worth. I'm not going to go into it. There's also something called income for VA purposes. But, but the idea is this. If you have limited net worth, and that could be the veteran or the surviving spouse, and the veteran or their surviving spouse are paying all of their money for care, what do you, what do you have left? Nothing. So you'd be eligible for benefits. Last but not least, there's Medicaid. And Medicaid, you're going to be told you have to spend down to qualify. And I am going to say there are pre-crisis planning solutions. We use Medicaid Asset Protection Trust in a pre-crisis situation. Even if someone is in the nursing home, especially in a couple case, we can protect all of the assets for what's called the community spouse and make sure they're taken care of. We can even protect assets for a disabled child and half to two-thirds of the assets in a worst-case scenario. I have given my one-minute warning, and I've spoken 15 minutes on something I can speak for four hours about. So you know, we, we offer free consultations. I have a table over there. Get, get our information. Call up. We're doing everything virtual. I will look at your specific factual situation, and I will help you find, get, and pay for good care. Hey, thank you, Bob. Wonderful information. So you guys are being fed. Lots of information, right? This is so great. Um, and so I do want to say before the COVID-19 team uh, exit, we are they're planning to leave here shortly. So if you were trying to get tested or a vaccine, your first, second, or booster, they're doing all of those today. And so if you can head over there before they leave, that's great. Um, also, we've talked about some services here today. Medicaid, we have Pruitt Health in the back who um, manages Medicaid waiver programs. We have Medicare Signet here. Bob mentioned that his table was right here as well. We also have uh, Derek there for Northwestern. He's available to speak with some. And then Centerwell is here. So as Dr. S kind of shared about their philosophy, she's here as as well. So then I want to introduce our last panelist. Derek Murray is going to go ahead and get started for us. He's world famous. He's been on the news and all that good stuff. So he gets great financial information. Once he finishes, if you have questions, we want to be able to take your questions. If you have questions um, online on our virtual audience, you want to shoot over to the chat box, please do that. And we'll ask your questions as well. So I'm going to turn it over to Derek. Good afternoon. I'm happy to be here. So I'll, I'll jump right in. As a certified financial planner, one of the main things that we do is retirement planning, right? And I know I have slides as well. I, I won't use them, but one of the main things we do is retirement planning. And when I talk about retirement planning, it's, it's very simple what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is go from our lifestyle being funded from us and earned income to our lifestyle being funded from our assets or unearned income, right? So as we build out that plan, number one, we got to figure out, okay, how much it costs for us to live now and how much does it cost or will it cost for us to live in the future? So we got to figure out, okay, if we want to retire at 65 and we're going out to life expectancy and it takes us $5,000 a month to live, we backdoor on that and figure out, okay, we need a million dollars, $2 million, $5 million, whatever that is, we figure out that number to help you get there, right? And then we backdoor and micromanage and figure out how much we need to save and invest a month to put in different plans to get you to that overall nest egg, right? So if we're fortunate enough to do that and we get to retirement, we cannot just think about the investments and what we're going to do to live for the rest of our lives. Because retirement planning is really hard to not only build your wealth, we gotta also focus on the things that could potentially take your wealth away, okay? So if you look at any survey, the number one fear in retirement is running out of money too soon, 
The number one fear in retirement is running out of money too soon. And there's two main things that could potentially cause you to run out of money too soon. Number one is you just didn't save enough in the first place. And then number two is some type of unexpected event that will cause you to spend, need to spend more money than you plan to spend in, um, when you originally built your retirement plan. And we all know we're living longer and longer and longer. This isn't 20, 30, 40 years ago to where retirement was basically 10 years, right? Retirement can be 30, 35, 40 years. So one of those things that could happen to cause us to run out of money too soon is some type of extended care event, right? And when I talk about extended care events, this is us being sick, injured, some type of chronic illness that causes us to need to spend more money than our basic income that we thought we would need when we originally retired. So when it comes to this extended care planning or long-term care planning, where we help our clients is just to develop a plan. Whether our plan it will be to use our assets, whether our plan will be to use insurance. In most cases, what we do is we use a combination between our assets and insurance, okay? And when we talk about insurance, we have many, many, many different options, but I'll talk very briefly on two. Number one, there is a traditional standalone long-term care insurance product. And what that does is that if you get sick or injured and need extended care of any type, whether it's in-home care, in the facility, bringing a nurse in, having to go to adult daycare, of any type, that insurance will cover those costs. Now, when we look at that, the difficulty of figuring out how much insurance to get or what level of coverage to get is, is, is very difficult because when we look at the charts and we look at the history of needing long-term care, it's not that if we're going to need it or not, it's actually how much we're going to need and how long we're going to need it. Because the graph is, is more of what we kind of think of a, bum, a barbell shape to where a lot of people only need care for zero to two years, which what typically happens is some type of chronic in injury or, or illness happens, they need care, and then they transition. But then we know we can have Alzheimer's, we can have dementia and live for 10 years and need care for 10 years. That cost of care is very, very expensive. So we don't want to just try and rely on our assets. We want to try and supplement with the insurance as well to get a decent plan that will severely lessen the impact on our overall assets. We also, what I, and just talking with clients and talking about our, our, our plans and relying on family or friends or, or whatever, whatever that is, um, one thing I always just warn against if we, one of there there are two spouses, and one spouse needs care and the other one doesn't. Well, think about that. So think about we created a financial plan and we created a retirement plan that they're going to be able to spend $6,000 for the rest of their lives. We got all the assets and we're good. But now one spouse needs 5000 for long-term care, so that only leaves 1000 left for the healthy spouse. So what happens? We say, all right, we're not going to pay for care. That spouse ends up trying to take care of the other spouse. And then what happens? something happens to the second spouse. So now we gotta go to the kids. And now we have four kids. Do we think we're gonna get 25% participation from those four kids? No. So we get 50% or 70% from one kid, and now they're bickering amongst each other. And that kid is the hero. So then when parents pass away, that kid gets the house, right? No. <laughs> Right, so this is what we talk about is just in terms of the planning of making sure that we have a plan. So back to the long-term care insurance. What the long-term care insurance does is it also provides a tax-free benefit, okay? Because 
when we pay for the care or when we pay for the premium of the insurance, we pay with our after-tax dollars. So we can get a benefit, a maximum lifetime benefit, 200000 300000 whatever it is, and we can turn money that we would have possibly paid for care and grow it and then be able to use the long-term care insurance tax-free. If you own a small business, you can also actually deduct the premiums of that long-term care, right? So also, if you are applying for long-term care insurance and you have a spouse and each of you apply, you get a 20% discount, okay? So there's a lot of different provisions of how to cover the long-term care because one of the complaints of long-term care insurance is it's very expensive. Well, what we do is that we bake it into your retirement plan. So if we have your investment assets and we're planning to earn 5% off your investment assets for retirement income, we may say, hey, 1% of that or typically is less than that, half a percent of that will go to pay for the long-term care insurance to protect the overall assets, okay? So there's traditional standalone long-term care. Some people do not like traditional long-term care because it is the purest form of life insurance, I'm sorry, of insurance, to where if you do not use it, you do not get a refund or anything back. So one thing I, I say is that sometimes we have opportunities to where if we're looking at life insurance and we're looking at permanent life insurance, we can also add a rider and get a hybrid plan that will pay for long-term care. So you can use the traditional long-term care that does not have a death benefit, or you can use life insurance with the long-term care benefit that if you needed the care while you are alive, you can use your life insurance to pay for that care, right? So it gives you the best of both worlds. If you go peacefully in your sleep, like I like to say, there's a death benefit that in turn goes to your family or your spouse. Or if you end up needing some level of care, you can use that death benefit. You could potentially use half the death benefit, then pass away, and the other half of the death benefit goes to your family all tax-free, okay? So those are two brief examples of how we can structure plans, but there is a laundry list of opportunities and ways of doing that. Now, what I always tell folks is that insurance isn't always the best solution. It is a great way to be able to create a, a magnitude of your money that you would have paid anyway because typically when you buy insurance, you're getting anywhere from 10 cents to 20 cents on the dollar to that benefit based on the amount of premium that you're paying. Now, one of the issues is that all of our clients um, sometimes can't get approved for the insurance because they already have existing healthcare conditions. So that goes to really planning around our estates and our assets to figure out, hey, how can we restructure our assets to be able to rely on Medicaid to not have to spend now all of our, our money? Because typically we can't get any long-term care benefits from Medicaid until your assets are less than around $2,000 total net worth, excluding your primary residence. Right? So what we don't want to have to do is have you spend down your, your assets. We can do creative trusts to be able to give assets away uh, or just restructure our assets, but we gotta do that within timing because there is a five-year look-back period. It's five years, right? There's a five-year look-back period that if you restructure your assets and you need care in two years, the IRA or the government is gonna look back and say, hey, you had these assets five years ago, so they're going to count them when you're doing that calculations. So uh, when we know someone who has potential health issues and they know, hey, we may need care in, in the future, but they cannot get insurance, then we, we go ahead and try to get ahead of some of that restructuring. That way, hopefully, we don't need care in five years or five plus years. We can get approved for that, that type of um, Medicaid coverage. So a lot of different ways, but at the, at 
the end, it's all about just having a plan, right? So like I talked about in the beginning, we, we, we want to focus on building a sound retirement planning and everybody wants to talk about investments, et cetera, et cetera. But I always use a quote that I got from Warren Buffett is that we, we cannot afford to invest in the things that will go right until we, uh, until we put ourselves in a position that we invest into the things that can go wrong. I'll say that again. We cannot afford to invest in the things that can go right until we put ourselves in a position where we have already invested into the things that will go wrong. So we gotta make sure we take care of the risk management side of our planning and not just focus on the investments. Thank you. All right, awesome. Thank you, Derek, awesome. So we can take some questions now. I do have a question from the um, virtual audience. So I'll start with that one as you all prepare your questions. The first one goes to Bob. If you have beneficiaries in place on insurance policies and banking accounts and have a Georgia Advanced Directive, do you need a power of attorney for health or finance? I, that, that, that's a good question. So beneficiary designations deal with, you know, where that account is going to go to when someone passes away. And, and that is what I will call a very good death probate avoidance, right? You, you have that beneficiary designation on the account, but that's not going to give access to the account while a person's alive. Now, now, many people will have joint ownership of an account, right, instead of having a power of attorney. I would say that that's a no-no. I would rather see a person have a financial power of attorney and have access to an account because if someone owns an account jointly and they were to get divorced, they were to go bankrupt, they were to get into a car accident, then that asset is exposed. Um, so, you know, joint ownership I don't like. Beneficiary designation is not going to solve the problem. Have the, the, the powerful power of attorney, take it to the financial institution, make sure it's going to be accepted. Thank you. Thank you. I hope that answered your question. And so if we have more questions on the virtual audience, just place them in the chat box and we'll get them. Do we have any live questions here? Okay. So I would say for our next group of vendor spotlight folks, if you can get ready to head to the vendor spotlight area, you, we, we start, we'll be starting soon. Um, but I do want to ask um, a question myself. And so um, I do know that Dr. S kind of talked a little bit about the team you need to have. And so my question is to each of you, um, Dr. S, if you could start by expanding on that. And then Bob and Derek, if you could share who are the essential folks that should be on your team as you kind of journey through these critical pieces in your caregiver journey. And I'll let you start, Dr. S. Thank you. So as I stated, I, one of the most, uh, most important from my standpoint would be the doctor, the, the PCP, the primary care provider. They're essential because they will help navigate figuring out if your love, what is the extent of your loved one's condition, uh, what is the prognosis, and that information can be then taken back to the attorney as you consider preparing what type of of planning or what type of legal documentation you're going to need. Um, and so I find that, and of course, I'm going to say the doctor is going to be probably the most important one. And in addition to that, you know, I shouldn't say in addition, I think the doctor should be the one also coordinating with everyone else that's on the healthcare team. Try, making sure that you centralize the care of your loved one is, I believe, the most important part. Absolutely. Thank you. And you know, um, Dr. S, I often mention about other teams of the medical team to include the pharmacists um, because the medications are so important. You know, even in home care, if they're taking the wrong things together, it leads to falls and a, a lot of uh, home issues as well. Um, also, sometimes people are being admitted to the hospital because of improper medication management. So the pharmacist is really important. We do have um, total pharmacy here today. If you need to talk to someone about your medication, you can do that as well. Um, but they are an important part of that medical team as well. 
Okay. Um, and so, Derek, I'll let you go next. So, in, on our side, our team, certainly and financial advisor, right? And But one of the, the things I always explain with that is sometimes financial advisors could only be on the wealth management side, so they're only really investment advisors. But then you have some financial advisors who do more of the insurance and they're more insurance producers, if you will. So in terms of where I work of, of doing both, but you want to have someone certainly that's managing your investments. You want to make sure if you look at insurance options, if those are two different people, it's not the same person, uh, they're working together. Then you also want to make sure that that advisor or those advisors are working with your estate planning attorney because we're setting up the investments and the insurance, and then we want to make sure we're putting them in the right places, whether we're allowing a trust to be the owner or the beneficiary or whatever of your insurance, then you want to make sure they're connected with the attorney. And then also we're connected with the accountant as well to make sure if we're looking at taxes and what assets to spend first in retirement or what assets to leave behind, what are the um, most efficient ways of restructuring your assets the attorney can fit in as well in terms of that conversation. So advisor, your attorney, and then also your accountant. So what I have seen is that the, the, the two most valuable assets people have are their retirement funds and their home. And we're going through this journey where we want to take care of our loved ones at home. And, you know, I, I think having improvements made to that home, like ha having a good contractor, having a good roofer. And then as you're making your journey, if your loved one needs to go into independent living or into assisted living, having a good realtor, having a good uh, connection that will actually help you have an estate sale and, and, and set up that new home. Again, you don't have to do all of these things yourself. W one other valuable resource, I think, for staying in the home is is perhaps the, the, the mortgage broker who could help with a, a home equity conversion mortgage to get equity out of the house with which to pay for home, home helpers, health care help in, in the home. So just the importance of building this, this team behind you. Awesome. Thank you. And so um, as we prepare to wrap up, um, do we have any other questions? I'll continue to watch the chat, bo watch the chat box. Um, okay, we have a question. And, um, so the question is, we often hear about elderly abuse. And so we want to know how can we prevent that um, elderly abuse, elderly abuse? Yeah, I, you know, the, the, there's many flavors of elder abuse, you know, physical abuse, emotional abuse, but I think you're focusing on financial abuse. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, you know, as, as far as identification goes, I think, you know, the, the biggest red flag of elder abuse would, would be isolation when someone's not allowed to see people. I, I, I really, really worry, you know, why am I not allowed to talk to this person? And, and if you're suspecting elder abuse, you want to call Adult Protective Services who will come and investigate. Now, now as far as protecting someone from financial abuse, you know, careful choice of agent under power of attorney, but the, the, the problem with powers of attorney is they can be changed. So someone can come in and put a power of attorney in front of someone and they can sign it and now they're they're the agent. So how do you prevent that? Well, I I use something called a, a senior trust, you know, an an irrevocable trust. You know, that little prefix er means cannot change, and 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 that I use to tie things up so that an agent cannot be changed. I mean, you you can also go into court and get that conservatorship where a person's under court supervision, which is going to be a more powerful way to, to prevent the financial abuse. I will say for um, the medical side, uh, we are we have duty to report if we suspect elder abuse. And one of the things that we focus and I look for is um, unintended weight loss. 
So if we, I'm noticing that a patient is losing weight, um, and it can't be explained by medical condition. Another thing is missing appointments. So if they don't follow up with me in a timely fashion, and they're not coming in like they were before, there may be something that the caretaker or someone doesn't want me to see. Uh, and of course, you know, physical exam and looking for bruises. We screen for bruises at every visit. Uh, but the subtle signs is, okay, they're not coming like they used to. And also when they do come, I look at their cleanliness. Are they unkempt? And they're usually well put together. I've been following them for years. And so those are signs that will make me begin to ask questions. Another thing is when the caregiver changes, uh, the daughter brought them. Now I see an uncle or a cousin. It may be a warning sign that whatever, wherever the finances were, they're no longer there. And so that first caregiver has left them, and now someone else picked up. So those are subtle signs that I look for, that I've seen, that are early signs of abuse. All right. I was looking at that blanket over there and got a little carried away. <laughs> All right. So we do have another question. Yes, ma'am. For aid and attendance, uh, but you explained there's a difference between aid and attendance and pension. So what I'm having the trouble with is the legal technology as to how they put in a claim, and they keep denying me. My husband is totally disabled in a wheelchair, and they did uh, they granted him partially aid and attendance, just a small, very small amount. So my uh, question is, I guess to you. How would I go by legally with the terms of the VA, putting it in so they can, uh, I know they understand, so they can know I understand yeah. that I'm entitled to an increase in aid and attendance because my husband has declined. Uh, he has type 2 diabetes. He also in a wheelchair. He also has high blood pressure. And those are in PSTD, I guess I'm calling it right. And uh, he he's... Uh, tied to, legally tied to uh, the claim because of those three right. symptoms. So, I mean, it's all about the evidence, right? And, 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 the, and we're talking about chronic conditions which get worse over time. So if, if you, you, know, you, you make a VA claim, it, it's going in front of an adjudicator who considered the evidence at that point in time to decide the claim. You know, whether you're rated X percent disability or you're going to get pension or you're going to get aid and attendance, you're homebound. So what, what I think what you're telling me is the facts have changed. He, he has d d declined. So, you know, you, you have to resubmit this new evidence to the VA so that the adjudicator can now consider it and change his rating. And then the VA is a big bureaucracy. And if you don't like what they tell you, you have the right to make an appeal. So th there's various levels of appeal where this new evidence could be considered if you don't like what the adjudicator told you. But I, I, I think you just need to submit your new evidence. You, you, t talk to me after. We can talk about it specifically. Yes, thank you. That's great. So we're going to go ahead and do a small wrap-up. I'm going to ask for each of our presenters to share a couple, a few last words. Uh, then we're going to get to our raffle here, okay? All right, Mr. Derek. I'm sorry, ladies first. Dr. S, were you going ahead? Again, so the take-home message that I would like for you all to have is start your planning early. Start your advanced care planning early while you can express your choices and what you'd like. And if you're caring for your loved one, even today, get in writing what are their wishes and have that conversation frequently. If things change, then update whatever your wishes are. You know, I'm just going to tell you what the thing I didn't get to, which was traditional estate planning. And m most people have what I will call I love you wills, or they will have beneficiary designations. Honey, if I die, everything goes to you. And if you have a spouse in a nursing home and a single person's only allowed to have $2,000 in countable resources, is it a good idea to leave everything directly to that person and ins insurance and annuity 
a bank account, a house, when they can only have $2,000? It's not a trick question. The answer is no, (laughs) right? So, you know, we we, we might have to do more, more advanced planning and use trusts that are created in a will to keep a person on Medicaid. So, you know, the, the, uh, it's very, very important. Even if you have a will that you made when you had children, you got a chronic condition, your situation has changed. The facts have changed. That should be looked at. Awesome. Um, last thing I'd like to just reemphasize when I talk to my clients about the need for planning for extended care, long-term care, is number one, the to preserve the dignity of the individual. That's number one. But then number two, preserving the relationships with the families, right? It's the dignity of the individual and then the relationship with the families. We want to be care directors, not caregivers, right? Which goes right into those two things. So that's all I say. Awesome. The money guy talking not about money as the priority. So now we know what our priorities are, right? to spend that time with your loved one and to be able to not do the technical things, but to enjoy that relationship. But sometimes we forget to do that. Asking for help and getting help allows for you to build that relationship and not do the technical things. So I want to thank each of our awesome guests. Can we give them like a huge round of applause, a huge round of applause on the Zoom virtual audience as well. Thank you all so much. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.